Lily, what'd you get on the grade for that song? Did you get an A? I think so. I would have given you an A, so. I, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to write a song, but that's not in my, uh, not in my toolbox by any means, so. Jenny, it's not easy getting up here, is it? It's a scary crowd out there. No, they're not scary at all. But if you're not used to it, it certainly can be, be daunting. But you know, if you have any more questions for that organization and what's going on there, it would be good. Um, I was actually there for the ribbon cutting and got to meet some of the other staff that was there for, for poll and just uh, what they're doing. And uh, a little have a heart myself for those on hospice uh, so some of you know I was a hospice chaplain for three years, and so um, it's a great help in a time of need, and so great opportunities came through that. But as Jenny mentioned, there's not much for kids, and so that's a, it's a niche that's not being met, and so it's great that she's able to do that here in this area. So I certainly want to support that. Well, we are continuing on in 2 Corinthians. We started it last week, and some of you I know weren't here last week, and you're going, oh no, man, we're already too late, maybe I should just check out. We're only on chapter two, so you, you haven't missed much, and I'll catch you up on what's going on. But some of you also may say, well, Charlie, why are you starting in 2 Corinthians? You know, you did 1 Corinthians last year, and then you like, did a bunch of other things in between. We did Peter, we did Ruth, we, we did, um, in reality, books of the Bible, some other sermons in between. Well, one of the reasons is because, in reality, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are not continuous. They're not back-to-back. They're hard to do back-to-back because there's a time period in between. And Paul wrote 2 Corinthians much later than he did, obviously, 1 Corinthians, and they're not one after the other. In fact, most scholars believe that there was another letter in between. Paul makes reference, and we don't have that letter. So, And then there's also some combining. They think that maybe 2 Corinthians combined with another letter because uh, there's a break in some of the chapters between 10 and 13. That being said, it's still God's word, and there is still uh, some continuation because they're speaking to the same people. As we know, Paul really cared about this church in Corinth. In fact, he was probably one of the founders of it and gathered them together. Many of them were people that he baptized, led to the Lord. Um, This was his church. He spent at least 18 months, we know for sure, ministering to them, preaching to them, Uh, watching over them, and he cares about them deeply. And Corinth is kind of an interesting place. Corinth itself was kind of a crossroads. It was a port city, and there was a lot of commerce going back and forth. It was a large city, um, and there was a large mix of people coming from all walks of life. um, And being a port city, um, you know, there's all those old jokes about the Navy and, you know, ports and cities and that. Well, there's some truth to that. There's a, a lot of things that happened there that were not of God. And there's churches born there, and it's growing, but they're struggling. The church in Corinth was a, a brand new church, and whenever you get a bunch of new believers together, they're bound and determined to make mistakes. It just happens. Uh, if you think back in your own walk, I'm sure early on when you got saved, you had a lot of questions, right? And, and things don't just automatically change, right? We, we bring a lot of our old stuff with us, and we have to, as God reveals, he sheds that off. And so a, a group coming together has that same problem. And so Paul's first letter is a lot of correction. His second letter, or the one that we're studying, the second one that we have in Scripture, is more of a corrective, um, but also a restoration, And we'll see that Paul's trying to restore that relationship because it's gotten stretched a little bit. 
And if you have any friendships, I'm sure you know this. Sometimes when you speak truth to someone or you have that hard conversation, right? I like to say you, you burn up some relationship capital, right? And you got to reinvest in that, right? You, you stretch that relationship because no one likes to be corrected, right? We, we tend to rebel with that. And Paul had to do that pretty strongly in the first letter. And now some time has gone on. And he, in fact, he's made a visit in between and things are still stretched a little bit. And actually they're questioning his authority. So if you were with us last week, you know, chapter one talks a lot about comfort, right? Comforting others. That was the the title of the message, right? Paul says, hey, through our sufferings, God can use that so that we can help comfort others, right? It wasn't comfort just for us, but it was also to give to other people. God allows us to go through things in order that we can come alongside someone else and share those same experiences, I like to call it relatability, right? If I can relate to you on some level and connect, that builds that relationship, and then we can walk together through some of those same struggles. Not that we go through every struggle, because we don't, but we have our own experiences, and that helps. It gives us credibility. It gives us that understanding. And then how we go through it is important. We talked about that as well, and we also talked about consistency, right? Consistency. And Paul had this other added burden, which we talked a little bit about, and we're going to actually get into it a little bit today because Paul's going to finish that statement. Unfortunately, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the chapter breaks don't really work very well, and we're actually going to back back into chapter 1 a little bit at verse 23 and then go into chapter 2. But Paul had this other problem with the church because he said he was going to come visit them, yet God changed his plans. We talked a little bit about that, right? Being flexible and Sometimes the Holy Spirit changes our plans. I, I, I laughed, and I don't know if this happens to you, but this past week, my plans got changed almost every day. Something changed in my plans. I had things scheduled. They got taken off the schedule. Things got added to my schedule. My week went totally, if you looked at my calendar on Sunday, last Sunday, and what I ended up doing this week, totally different. I mean, almost every day something got changed, and I kept being reminded of the scriptures, right? All right, I need to be flexible here. All right, Holy Spirit's doing the work here. I need to change my plans. There was part of me that wanted to make sure that I stuck to the the schedule, but a lot of things were out of my control. And so sometimes God allows those things. And again, if if the lesson was only for me, that's okay. I, I, I needed that lesson. But this week was one of those weeks. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated, right? I have a plan. I've got, hey, things gonna work this weekend. Everything's all laid out. And all of a sudden things get shuffled and uh, it messes up your week. And I can get frustrated with that because it's not going as I thought it was going to go. But through that, God gives us other opportunities. So again, hopefully that's your experience as well. Or maybe this week, if something doesn't go as planned, you'll remember that uh, to be flexible in ministry as well. Also, just as an overview, this Second Corinthians talks a lot about ministry. And you're going to hear this word over and over again as we go through these chapters. You know, there's 13 of them, and many of them are going to talk about ministering as a church and what we're to do as a church body. So that's a little bit of a background and a little bit of setup for this week. And so uh, let's jump right in on verse 23. And again, Paul's talking to them in regards to this, this rift that's come between them because he didn't come and visit them when he said he was. Verse 23 says, I call God as my witness. And I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you, and that I not return to Corinth. 
Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it's by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy, for I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love. Right? So he's reassuring them that he loved them. It wasn't, he didn't skip over them because he was mad at them or had written them off. He, he didn't visit because the Holy Spirit led him to Macedonia instead. He goes on to Troas, and again, there's some time. We also know from this passage that there's some more correspondence that we don't have. This is one of those sections where we know that there was another letter. There was also another visit, most likely. Right? And again, if you read 1 Corinthians, he had a lot of tough things to say, right? That was a hard letter. And most likely, the letter that was in between was the same vein. It was very much a corrective. Because we know the church didn't change quickly. We know that from the letters because some of the things he's going to address later on in this letter are the same things that he addressed in 1 Corinthians. Some, I know maybe I'm the only one, but I'm sometimes slow to learn, right? It takes being repeated over and over again. I need the lesson more than once to get it. And so Paul probably had that same conversation that he had before. And again, if you can remember back in 1 Corinthians, there was some tough stuff going on in the church. There was some, some things that were just outrageous and uh, again, heresy and, and false teachers, sin in the camp. There was many things that was wrong, and Paul had to correct them. But again, he doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't do it because he doesn't care. He actually does it just the opposite. You can see his compassion that he has for these believers. Right? He did it with tears and grabbed the, the depth of his love. He's trying to reassure them that he still loves them. Like I said, sometimes when we have those relationships, right, and we have those conversations that we are tough, right? We we need that. We actually have to go out of our way to reassure them that, hey, I love you, and that's the reason because I love you is the reason I'm telling you this. Especially when it's something we don't want to hear. Next section is kind of where I going to camp out a little while, but it's also where I took the the title of my message is is, is reconciliation or restoring. Right? Restoring a relationship. Again, Paul's going to finish this argument in a little bit, but that sets the stage for this next section. Right? Paul's explaining himself to them, but then there's also the same thing going on in the church. Verse 5, it says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. All right, just a little bit as you're starting this, you're saying, all right, well, who is Paul talking about? All right, who's Paul Paul talking about here? There's someone in the church that's come back and needs to be restored. Well, most believe it's that Remember there was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you haven't read it this week, but they expelled an immoral brother, right? 
If you remember the story, right? There's, there's a, a son that was sleeping with his father's wife. And the church was allowing him. And, and Paul corrects him from afar and says, hey, you need to expel him out. You can't let him stay in the church and stay in his sin. You, you need to get him out of there. Well, apparently this man came back to the church. And yet the church is not receiving him back. Right? You know, the the. the done the work that's been needed. He's come back to the church and yet the church is not receiving him. And again, if we can pull this out a little bit in our own lives, you can think about it. Sometimes we, you know, someone's sinned or sinned against us or, or just sinned in general or been in sin and they leave and they repent, they get drug addiction, they get cleaned up or whatever it is and they come back in it's hard for people to trust them, right? We, we struggle with that. We struggle restoring the relationship. I've heard it said, many Christians will even say it, you know, hey, you know, I forgive them, but I got to stay away from them. I, I can't have nothing to do with them. Or we kind of, we carry on the punishment, right? We, we keep them at arm's length. And Paul here is calling just the opposite. He's saying, hey, no, you need to, you need to receive him back. He's already paid the price. This is actually a success story. This is what, what you want, right? That's uh, the whole thing of church discipline is for restoration, right? That the person sees their sin, they repent, and they come back, and they be restored. If you look at correction in the Bible, that's always the goal is for restoration, to repent, turn around, and come back. It's not to just let them go and sin and let them stay out there. And so that's what Paul is... And again, he's saying, you ought to forgive him and comfort him, right? Receive him in. Let him, hey, good job. You did what you needed to do. Hey, welcome back. Again, you can probably come up with some, you know, extenuous circumstance where, you know, you may need to, to allow a little more time. But by and large, most of the time, we need to receive him back into relationship. Paul is exhorting them to do that. Verse 8, you see here, it says, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Right? Let him back in. Welcome as a brother in Christ. You know, he repented. Quite oftentimes, we want to continue that judgment, right? We want to continue to, the, the punishment, right? That sin is, is so bad that we want to hammer down on them a little bit longer, extend the sentence, or just have nothing to do with them. I can tell you're probably all thinking, right? There's someone in your head right now that, that comes to mind. I know when I was studying, there was a few people, and you know, I had to check my own heart and say, you know what, if they were to walk through that door today, how would I receive them? That's when the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That's when it's tough, right? How would I receive them? Would I, would I be okay with them? Would I want to even see them? And Paul's here urging them to, to reaffirm that brother that's sinned, repented, and come back. It goes on here to, to further the case in verse 9. He says, And another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. <clears throat> right? They were obedient in the discipline. Right? They, they did. They, they did expel this person. We, we know that from Scripture. It says that they did kick him out. They were obedient. They did as Paul said. 
that part of it. And now he's saying, are you going to be obedient on the second part of it? Right? Because it's not just a one and done. It's a, it's a two-parter here in this. Now that he's come back, now, and so are you going to be obedient in this part? Or are you going to hold back? And so Paul's, you know, putting them, again, he's standing the test, the test of, of being a believer, of forgiveness. Verse 10, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Remember, Paul's the one that expelled him from afar, right? He wasn't actually there. He wasn't the one that was expelling this brother out. He did it in a letter to the church, urging them to do what needed to be done. And so the same thing here on the, and that's why we, most scholars believe it's the same person, although he's not named, and Paul may have left his name out for the sake of the person, as not to bring too much shame on him. But Paul's saying, hey, I forgive him in the same way as I expelled him, right? I'm doing it from afar, but it's still the same. And if you forgive him, then I certainly forgive him as well. And then don't miss this part, because this is kind of key. Because if we don't do that, part of the relationship, part of the restoration, look what verse 11 says. Verse 11 is key to this, because it kind of gives us the, the why we need to do that. Verse 11 says, In order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I love how Paul puts that in there. And again, it's that reminder, right? Satan would love for nothing more than to, to have someone, you know, just hanging out there by themselves. And it's just one of his schemes, one of his many. We, we looked at Peter, we said the same thing, right? He roars around like a, a lion, right? He's just waiting to pick us off. And if we're not in part of a group or part of a church setting, we're easy pickings. And so it's the same thing here. You know, Satan, that's just one of his many schemes. But also part of that is, and we've done messages on this and still a struggle, but unforgiveness, Right? Unforgiveness is one of his schemes. Not forgiving someone. Also not restoring the relationship. That all comes at a cost. And it allows that devil to, to, to mess with us, to mess with our minds. I've said it often, I found it to be true, right? The, the more we replay a scenario in our head, right? The, the, an argument we had or an outing or when someone has sinned against us or we've sinned against them, we play it in our heads over and over again. And the more times we play it, right? The more I become the victim and the more the other person becomes the villain. At least in my mind, that's how it works. It's not right. But the longer I hold on to that, the longer that I, I don't forgive them and the, the more I play it, I become better in the story much better than I am. And so that's just one of the many schemes that the devil uses. Also, what does it do if you don't receive someone back in that was you know, out there and he's returned, right? It can cause disunity, right? It can cause division. Paul's all about unity in the church. He, over and over again, that's part of one of his major themes in Philippians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, it's all about unity, right? Colossians, bringing them together. Galatians, as we've been studying with the men, right? Keeping the church together, not allowing things to divide. Keeping that unity in the body because we are better together than we are by ourselves. And that's just the way our Christian walks meant. We were meant to be in fellowship together as believers. And Paul sees the importance of that. Again, there's probably a whole message on the schemes of the devil, but you don't want to stay there. But that is one of them that Paul identifies here. 
that unforgiveness, not restoring. And so he puts that here as part of that. And there's also many that believe, and I can kind of see the thread as well, just as Paul wants him to restore this brother that's been expelled, Paul wants to be restored in the relationship that he has with the church. It's not that it's disjointed at all, but it's the same thing. Paul knows that there's an out in that church. There's some problems that have been going on. People are questioning his authority, and Paul wants the same forgiveness and ability to come back and be part of that church. He has the authority, but again, he wants a relationship. And so we see that here as well. He goes back to explain part of his side trip here. Verse 12, and this will be the last that he does this, but again, it's become a stumbling block, obviously, for the church and for Paul and his authority to the church, and so he wants to make this clear. And verse 12 says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Paul in his writings, which is great because it helps us with historical, but he puts all these personal things in here, and, and you can see the network, right? Paul has a, a network of people that he's working with. He's working with other apostles. He's working with Timothy and Titus, and there's a whole host of people. Paul's not by himself, right? You've you got to imagine he's trying to oversee many churches, and yet he has this heart of a missionary, so he's, he's in many communities traveling about, and so he, his heart is being placed all over the place, and he's trying to keep them together. And one of the ways that they would do that would be send messengers, and people would go back and forth. These letters were part of it, but also people, people that he trusted. And so obviously Titus had been to Corinth. They knew him. They, they knew of him. They knew he was traveling, doing his own thing as well, his own ministry. You know, that connecting ministries together. It's kind of why we do missions moment here, right? Because we have missionaries scattered all over the world. And again, the only way is, is we can connect. And even today with all the information we have, it's great when we have somebody here to, to tell us what's going on exactly. And we had Grant and Gretchen here. What a, what a blessing it was to hear what was going on there. We got things that we wouldn't get through an email even. Remember, there's no email back then. Right? It's the ultimate snail mail. Uh, at best. Again, it was hand-delivered. Interesting, too, Paul lets him know that, hey, I wasn't just out there, I'm gonna, this is dangerous, but I'm just, I wasn't just out there fooling around on the golf course. He was actually working, right? He had an opportunity. Some of you are laughing because you know I spend time on the golf course. But no, Paul is saying, hey, I had an open door there. I was ministering while I was there. It wasn't by chance God had placed me there, and there was an open door. There were things that were going on there. I'm always hearkening and reminded by an old study um, by Henry Blackaby, and one of his sayings was, if you see God working, join him where he's working and are at work in his ministry. And so Paul shows that here. Right? He had an open door, and so he, he walked through that door. Yet, he knew that he wasn't supposed to stay there very long, and so he moves on. Right? He wants to connect up with Titus, and he doesn't know where he is. And again, there's still that danger of that time. Also remind, there's always a threat on their lives. Verse 14, but, it's interesting, but thanks be to God, and we did praise this God earlier, right? You know, it was not an afterthought, but a forethought here. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, 
and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and the one who are perishing. Begs an interesting question, but how do you smell? Right? You could you see that here, but how do you smell? It's one of my, my questions here at the end, right? How do you smell? And again, obviously we're not talking about body odor here, right? But it's that how do you smell as a Christian? How, does it, how, does, how are you viewed? And again, the, the smell is just one of the senses, right? But, but how do you smell, right? Are you a pleasing aroma or do you stink? You know, it's, it's, it's one or the other. And so it's a, it's, it's a hearkening back to, right, that aroma of Christ. And again, if you go back to the, the temple worship, right, they would burn incense and, and they would even burn the fat, right? It was that aroma, that smell. If you came to church yesterday morning, you had an aroma of bacon in here this morning. That, and for men, that's like a sweet smell. It smells good. Right? But it's a pleasing aroma. But Paul is saying our lives are to be the same way. You know, are, are we, uh, are, are we sweet-smelling to those? And again, obviously that aroma is sweet to believers as well, right? right? Do we enjoy being together as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it uh, pleasing? Because it's not always that way, right? We may be smelling good for Christ, but to the world... That doesn't smell so good. And that's what he, the, the contrast here. So we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Paul understands this greatly, right? It's not easy, right? He understands it. It's not easy being a believer in an unsaved world. Right? He's saying, it's not easy to stand up for Christ when we're around unbelievers, right? It's hard. It's hard work. And some will find us pleasing and say, oh, hey, he's a really good guy and I like to be around him. Others are like, I don't want nothing to do with that Bible-thumping guy, right? It's not always pleasing. And if someone is dead set against God, then you're that affront to them. You stink, for lack of a better term. Right? It's not a good aroma. But Paul understands it's not, e- it's not easy. In fact, I would even say, versus the question, is we need help. Right? We need encouragement to do that. We need other brothers and sisters to, to come alongside of us to encourage from the Holy Spirit. It's not an easy task. We also need the help of God himself. We need that help from the Holy Spirit. Uh, often said the, the struggle, right? When to speak, not to speak. When to share, not to share. And again, we have to do that with our words, especially with the gospel. But it's not easy in a lot of those settings. It's not an automatic. It, it takes leading from the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, hey, that's not, a, not, a, not an easy task to do. And then the contrast here in verse 17, he says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Again, 
Paul's contrasting himself because, again, at the, at the time and at, in the day, there were people that were speaking, supposedly speaking for God, and they were speaking for a prophet, right? They were taking money unduly theirs. And quite often to do that, they were speaking things that were not true. Interestingly enough, we had just seen a, a video or a blog, and it was talking about how in, in order to, to keep people, even in the church, you have to water down the gospel, and you can't talk about sin very much. You've got to make it pleasing, right? You've got to soften the gospel. No. We spent quite a bit of time with false teachers, and that's one of those false teachings. You have to wrestle that with the believer. There is sin, and it has to be dealt with. Paul certainly dealt with that with the church in Corinth. They were dealing with that, right? They had sin in the camp. They expelled the brother, and now he's back, and now they're dealing with it once again. Hard stuff to do. It doesn't, the church discipline doesn't please everyone, and certainly is not easy to do. Talking to a brother or sister about sin is not something to be taken lightly. If we use more I've said this, and we even talked about it yesterday a little bit, but if we use more Galatians 5 and less of Matthew 18, we'd be far better off, and they're two different scenarios. But if you look at Galatians 5, it talks about spending time. You who are spiritually mature, go gently, right? Go with that restoration, going to that person and discussing that sin, but being careful that you're not tempted as well, right? Going at it with the right motives, how do we talk to that person, right? About a sin issue. Again, not a sin against us. That's Matthew 18. That's certainly another scenario, but Galatians is different. And then taking that one step further, and Galatians 6 goes into about carrying that burden, helping them along with that. If you were with us men yesterday, you got this lesson already, and I'm just taking off of that because it kind of applies to the same situation. So Paul's contrasting. He says, hey, I didn't do that. I'm not, not taking an advantage of you financially. In fact, we know that Paul actually was bivocational when he was at the church in Corinth the first time. They obviously didn't have enough funds. They were early on. They, they couldn't support him, and so he was a tent maker. He made sales for, the, for a lot of the ships. And he says, not that I couldn't have taken from you, but I didn't want to be a burden to you. And so Paul always has that in the back, that he's careful about asking for funds and using funds correctly. But yet he speaks truth. Right? He, he gives the tough messages. He calls sin, sin. And he calls us for restoration as well when that person has repented and come back. And so that's chapter 2 this morning in a, a nutshell. And as it's quiet in here, um, I can only imagine you're probably thinking through your mind and probably still sticking with that, hey, that person that hurt me or that person that's no longer in my life that we've had an out, we've had a friendship, uh, falling out, we've had a, a sin issue get between us or something's hurt our relationship. How do I restore that? Again, if they were to walk in today and sit down next to you, how would you handle that? Would it be a pleasing aroma or would it stink? 
how would it be for that person that walked in? So something to think about this week and be praying about. And, you know, and I would ask that you'd also just pray that God gives you that opportunity with that person. Again, the hope and the prayer is that they've gone through the process, that if it was a sin issue, that they have repented, and they've changed, and that they want a relationship again. So be praying that way this week, and as we close uh, this morning, may we continue to be that sweet aroma in God's snows. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunities that you give us, and Lord, we are thankful that you forgave us, as we too were an enemy of you before we were saved. And Lord, as believers, we have to deal with our own sin, first and foremost, and we have to deal with the sin of others, Lord. And Lord, help us to be sensitive, help us to be um, clear-minded when we do that. And Lord, help us to have a, a softness of heart so that when that relationship wants to be restored, Lord, that we are quick to do that, that we do it gently and lovingly as you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning. I thank you for your word that guides and directs us. And Lord, that continues to do that work in us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.